Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Hello everybody, my name is Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to my podcast in the book of Revelation. In this series of podcasts, we're going to look at the book of Revelation from chapters 1 through 22. What did John say? How would John's readers have understood what he said? And what does it mean for us today? After we survey the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, we'll then record some more podcasts that will examine some of the more popular topics. What about the beast and the Antichrist and the rapture and some of the more popular topics? For those of you who are interested, I encourage you to get a copy of my book, Follow the Lamb. It's a guide on how to read, understand, and apply the book of Revelation. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth podcast. For now, I hope you sit back and enjoy our study of the book of Revelation. Today's study takes us to Revelation chapters 2 and 3. These two chapters contain the seven letters to the seven churches that John was told to write in chapter 1. Now, an important element of understanding how to read and interpret and understand the book of Revelation is to recognize that there's a story. Uh, There's really two stories in all reality, but these two stories are going to be highly related and, and interconnected. The first story begins in chapter 1, verse 9, that we looked at last time. John is told uh, to write in a book what he sees. He turns to see uh, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and walking among seven golden lampstands. And he's told to write what he sees and send it to the seven churches. So chapters 2 and 3 contain those letters, the seven letters to the seven churches, that describe what John has seen. Now, it is common among popular (coughs) commentaries in the book of Revelation to suggest that uh, Revelation chapter 2 relates to, and, and 3 relate to information about the seven churches that were existing at the time that John wrote these letters, and uh, they're referencing the first century world. But that everything from chapter 4 onward has to do with the future. Uh, commonly, of course, uh, the future is understood as our future, uh, relevant to us and to our day. No matter what generation you live in, the idea that the future is always relevant to us. Uh, the problem is going to be the fact that, as we looked at briefly earlier, Uh, The fact that there are seven churches indicates that this is more than just the seven churches. This has all of Christendom in mind. Seven is the number for perfection or completion or totality, fulfillment. Thus, these seven churches represent all of Christianity, both at the time of John as well as even into the future. The fact that each of the seven letters has a strong exhortation to, if anyone has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It reminds us that each of these letters was actually written to the whole of Christendom not just that one particular locale. So then all seven letters reference all of Christianity, both at the time of John's writing, as well as throughout the generations, even up to the present day. In addition, we're going to notice that the contents of these seven letters is going to be highly interrelated to the rest of the book of Revelation, chapters 4 through 22. The the promise, of course, most notably in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, to the one who overcomes, will be reiterated throughout the book. As you read through the book of Revelation, in fact, pay attention to the word overcome, or sometimes translated as conquer, or even occasionally in the uh, New King James it will be translated as prevaileth. Furthermore, we see promises like the one who overcomes, I'll grant to write thee from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And then we'll note that the presence of the tree of life in Revelation 21 and 22. So what happens in the seven letters of chapters 2 and 3 cannot be divorced from what the content of the vision of chapters 4 and following. Now, the seven letters primarily have this one main uh, uh, exhortation, and that is a danger, a warning, to be careful about integrating and assimilating oneself too closely with the local culture. 
uh, the images of Jezebel and Balaam and soil garments and sexual language. Uh, the idea that John's writing a prophetic critique, and it's much for uh, the church as it is uh, for the world. Now, uh, each of these seven letters begins with the phrase, these are the words of. Uh, uh, my, my translation, New American Standard, will say, to the angel of. Uh, Tade lege, thus says. Um, this introduces a message of a prophet. It's a stock, in fact, Old Testament formula for introducing sayings from God. It's used over 200 times in the Old Testament. So John's not just writing letters to local churches. He's a prophetic word and a prophetic word to the local churches. The message of the seven letters is loud and clear. As G.K. Beale says, quote, Christ encourages the churches to witness. He warns them about compromise, and he exhorts them to hear and overcome compromise in order to inherit the promise of eternal life, end quote. The overcomers are the faithful witnesses, the ones who are martyred for holding to the testimony borne by Jesus. The church itself is ex exhorted to witness for Christ in the midst of a pagan culture. The churches with problems are encouraged to strengthen their witness. Now, there'll be two churches that have no problems, and they're encouraged to continue to persevere in their faithful witness. The letters of chapters 2 and 3, then, kind of provide an extended in introduction to the entire book of Revelation. The letters are intended, of course, as I mentioned earlier, to a wider audience than more than just a local audience, as evidenced by the phrase, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, each of the seven letters is going to follow the same format, or a similar format. At the beginning, it's going to be a charge of an angel to write. Then there's going to be a description of Jesus, or description of Christ, that was from the, the vision that John saw in chapters 1, verses 12 through 19. Remember, the whole idea of chapters 2 and 3 is that John was told to write what he sees, and so what he saw was Christ, and so the description of Christ from chapters one, chapter 1 forms the, the, the foundation for each of the seven letters. Now, John's going to pick out certain attributes or qualities of what he saw in Jesus, and those qualities or attributes are going to be very pertinent and relevant to each of the seven letters. Thirdly, there's going to be an acknowledgement of a positive feature. However, two of the churches, Laodicea and Sardis, will have no positive features. Fourth, there'll be words of encouragement, censor, or maybe counsel and warning, except two churches who have no negative features. Those are the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia. And then fifthly, there's going to be an exhortation to hear and a promise to the one who overcomes. Each of the letters then climaxes with this promise of eternal life with Christ, which is the, the main point. Overcoming will be the key element. Each of the seven letters is going to have a promise to the one who overcomes. Now, as we look more carefully at the seven letters, we'll note that the first uh, letter to Ephesus and the seventh letter to Laodicea, both those churches are in danger of losing their identity as a church. Something of sig great significance is going on in a negative way in those churches, and there's a threat, in fact, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, he's told that he's going to remove their lampstand out of their place unless they repent. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Now, the second and sixth churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, both have remained faithful in the midst of persecution. Both chapter 2, verse 9 and 3, verse 9, in the letter to Smyrna and the letter to Philadelphia, refer to blasphemy by the Jews in the synagogue of Satan. So these letters clearly are to be read in, 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 in parallel with one another. The middle three churches then, Pergamum, Thyatira, and Sardis, have some people in them that are faithful and others that are compromising their faith. Uh, these churches are particularly exhorted to be rid themselves of pagan elements that have compromised them and get them out of their midst. Now, the fourth letter then, the church in Thyatira, becomes the center of the seven letters. This has the strongest representation of idolatry, most notably this woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess uh, in verse 20 of chapter 2. 
Uh, in the very middle of all the seven letters, we find this phrase, and all the church will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. Revelation chapter 2, verse 23. Christ is named as the Son of God, and this is the only letter that names him, in fact. So the church overall, then, by looking at the seven letters, we will conclude that the church is actually in poor condition. The healthy churches, the two of them, Smyrna and Philadelphia, are in uh, minority. Churches in the worst condition form the boundary, the first church, Ephesus, and the seventh church in Laodicea. The churches with serious problems form the core. Overall, this suggests to us then that the church is not doing too well. It's in danger of, of uh, minimizing or even eliminating its prophetic witness. Revelation 2 verse 23 again then says, And all the church will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I'll give to each one of you according to your deeds. Christ is the omniscient judge of the unfaithful followers, and the churches must pay attention. Now, it's also important, as I mentioned briefly last time, that the phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear, which occurs in each of the seven letters, is also found in each in the Gospels. Jesus used this commonly in his parables of Matthew 13 and Mark chapter 4. Uh, the idea then being that the parables themselves of Jesus has this apocalyptic element to them contain this mysterious understanding of the kingdom of God and, and how it works. <clears throat> now, each of the seven letters then closes, to remind us, uh, closes with a promise to the one who overcomes. And I think it will be profitable to finish off this study with a reference to each of the seven churches. Revelation 2.7 to the church in Ephesus, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the church in Smyrna, their promise that he who overcomes in verse 11 shall not be hurt by the second death. To the church in Pergamum, Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. I'll give him some of the hidden manna, and I'll give him a white stone, and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows, but he who receives it. To the church in Thyatira, Revelation chapter 2, verse uh, 20, uh, I'll start in verse 26. He who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I'll give authority over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also received authority from my father. And I'll give him the morning star. To the church in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments. I will not erase his name from the book of life. I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. To the church in Philadelphia, Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it any more. And I'll write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. And then finally to the church in Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. This last and uh, seventh and last uh, uh, exhortation, the one who overcomes, is perhaps the most significant. For it illustrates to us, uh, or, or captures for us, several key principles in the book of Revelation. The primary one being that we are to be imitators of Jesus. We mentioned this back when we looked at Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 and following. Jesus is described as <clears throat> the faithful witness. Of all the titles given to Jesus in the book of Revelation, why is the faithful witness the first title? Because John wants us to know that Jesus is the role model that the people of God are to follow. And just as Jesus was a faithful witness, so also we shall be faithful witnesses. Thus, Jesus promises the church in Laodicea, 
If you overcome, I'm going to grant for you to sit down with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. This means then that overcoming looks like Jesus is overcoming. And we need to ask ourselves, how is it that Jesus overcome, overcame? What does it mean that Jesus overcame? We're going to see the answer to that in chapter 5, so we'll save it for the next time. But we'll note the exhortations to overcome that ride to this book. Also, we're going to notice in this last of the seven letters, the link between chapters 3 and 4 again. If you overcome, I'm going to grant to you the right to sit down with me on my throne. Chapter 4 is going to begin with God sitting on a throne. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time. Thank you.